You're listening to the Mashup Americans, where we could all be a little more specific about calling January 1st New Year's. I mean, hello, Rosh Hashanah, Nowruz, Alhidra, and Lunar New Year. Get in line. The question is, what should we call it? Gregorian New Year's? Roman Anglo-Western New Year's? Western Hemisphere New Year's? Uh, actually, in Israel and in Germany, they call it the Sylvester after a... A pope, a saint? Not the actor? <laughs> it's actually <laughs> Sylvester Stallone Day in Germany and Israel. Surprise! Hi, I'm Rebecca Lehrer. And I'm Amy Choi. And today on the Mash of Americans, resolutions, advice, and what to do with all of those self-help books. To sort it all out, we brought in a Korean-American Midwesterner because apparently that's my sweet spot of human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like being right there in it. Um, Kristen Meinzer, co-host of By the Book on Panoply, will join us today to sort out the big end of your question, to resolve or not to resolve. You know how I feel. I do. You're not a you're not a resolver, a, a resolutionist. <laughs> you don't like New Year's resolutions. So nope. <laughs> I'm a little more open to the idea than you are. But the good thing is that you love advice columns and self-help stuff as much as I do, which is very, very important for our friendship. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Mallory Ortberg and Nicole Cliff are our online advice gurus, and we love their stuff. And I've also condoed and bird by birded my way through adulthood with varying degrees of success. But so has Kristen. She and her co-host Jolenta have followed the advice of many self-help books on their podcast. She is just the person to guide us through the thorny path of advice books for mashups. There's a lot of highly questionable cultural borrowing, good old-fashioned nonsense, and the occasional really good bit of wisdom. Wisdom seems just the ticket, doesn't it? Make your New Year's resolution specific, fun, and early. Donate to support the Mashup Americans podcast before year's end and help keep the mashiest space in public media going strong. Let 2018 be the year of the mashups. Mashupamericans.com slash donate. So we asked Kristen Meinzer, host of the podcast By the Book, to join us because she's a rad woman, a former colleague of mine at WNYC, a mashup, and probably one of the biggest personal life experience experts on advice books. And we're looking for help in figuring out the big New Year's question, to resolve or not to resolve. And is that even the question? Because I think like most things, once you dig into it, making a change in your life is so much more complicated than a series of self-help books or a date in the calendar would make it out to be. And it's even more complicated for mashup women as as so many things are. Exactly. That's just true. <laughs> so in addition to getting into how to condo a fourth floor walk up, uh, writing yourself a check for a million dollars and how to turn your skin tight budget into a skin tight hot dress, we wade into much deeper territory, like whether you need to forgive to forget when you're making space for the future. As ever, a mashup hero making a topic so much richer and so much more interesting is no surprise. And you know what else isn't surprising? That the first thing we asked Kristen before we got into whether to binge eat before dieting, spoiler alert, don't do that. Just Don't do that. It's not good. <laughs> Doesn't work. No, it just makes it harder. Um, we asked her our classic question. Kristen Meinzer, how do you mash up? 
I am a Korean adoptee, Minnesotan, raised with Irish and German culture in a community with a large Hmong and Vietnamese population. And my husband is from New Zealand, so we have kind of a mixed marriage, but I'm the American in the marriage. And like a lot of other Asian people in the U.S., people frequently presume that he's the American until he opens his mouth and then he talks and it's clear I'm the American in the couple. Although not everyone thinks a Minnesotan talks like an American. Some people think I talk like a Canadian. Yes. I'm just going to agree with you. it's not true. It's not true. We have our own unique way of talking. I'm just going to say you sound like a Minnesotan. It's very strong and very specific. Yeah, you betcha it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait, um, so you grew up around a lot of Hmong and Vietnamese. Did you grow up around a lot of Koreans? My older sister is also adopted from Korea. And Minnesota does have the largest population of Korean adoptees on the planet, but spread out enough where I didn't know a ton of them. So... I knew that we were the non-white people, and there weren't a ton of us in my town. Bloomington is right outside of Minneapolis, and the larger population of Asian people in Minnesota were mostly in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So that was a good 15 minutes away on the bus from me, and that seemed like a universe (laughs) away when I was a kid. Just to give you an idea, my high school graduating class, from what I recall, 95% of them were white. Right. It was like you and your sister. Not a ton of us, no. Your podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. So it's called By the Book, and we like to say it's part book club, part reality show. And my co-host is Jolenta Greenberg, who is an amazingly hilarious, brilliant woman. And years ago, she said to me, Kristen, I would love to co-host a show with you where we blindly follow the rules of self-help books (laughs) and see how they change our lives. And then um, last year, we started making the show, finally. We tape ourselves while we're going about our lives at home, at work, and so on. And so you get a sense of how these books are affecting our lives while we follow each one for two weeks at a time. And then we reconvene and talk about whether or not they actually changed our lives, and if so, for the better or for the worse. Just full disclosure, I think a lot of self-help books are horrible. And <laughs> in my past life, I used to be a film critic, and yeah, I can be very critical. Where's Jolenta? She has crystals and tarot cards, and she wants to believe everything the self-help books show. Have any of them actually ever changed your life? Mm, I think all of them have in different ways. One book that was especially traumatic for me, actually, was The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that book is very interesting specifically for the show that I am on right now with you two, (laughs) because it speaks to something that a lot of self-help books do, which is I'm going to take another culture and try to adopt it to this culture, because this is very much about Tokyo culture, and you're in a tiny space, and how much can you have? And we're going to try and promote this book and market it to a broad audience outside of Tokyo and see how it works. Does that actually work within an American context when we're dealing with different amounts of space and different volumes of stuff? And living by this book really made it clear to me that I have too much stuff, first of all. (laughs) And the first weekend, I was up for 15 to 16 hours a day of just going Uh through my stuff. And I live on the fourth story of a walk-up building and walking up and down stairs, bringing my stuff to the curb or bringing it to donation centers. Rebecca is shaking her head. (laughs) And... I'm not even somebody who has that much stuff compared to other Americans. Yeah. 
Because you live in New York City. Yeah, I live in New York City. And full disclosure, I had a bed bug incident a few years ago where I already threw out half my stuff. This also happened to me. So condoing was like, yeah, no big deal. Oh, my gosh. I threw out 90% of my life when we had bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> bed bugs are so traumatizing, by <laughs> the way. Are so they are so They really are. Traumatizing. But yeah, Marie Kondo was... It changed my life in one big way, which was my husband and I really came to terms with the fact that the reason why so many things felt out of place or that we had too many things was partly because I was moving into his home when we got together. So it was really about the blending of our stuff and of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think there is something about that book. I think I, I like happened to read it. At a period when I was going through a very specific thing in therapy that was perfectly aligned with reading the book that was like, don't take in other people's baggage. And I was like, ah! <laughs> like it, light bulbs. And I took down pieces of art that were like hanging high because I didn't want to look at them, but they had been given to me. Mm. And then taking that weight from over my shoulders and putting it out on the curb. Yeah. Was I felt a million times lighter. I actually think I'm due for a new condoing because <laughs> 14 months into a child plus what clothes fit me and the piles that exist everywhere and time and da 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 da. I, I've also realized I need a coach for it. I can't do mm. it alone. Well, so what is your take on coaches? It depends on the coach that you're choosing. Do you want a tough love coach? Then I'll be your coach. Right. Um, do you want somebody who's more like Jolenta who will love you and nurture you and say you're perfect no matter what? I think there are different I think coaches I need for both different of those times. People. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. right. I'm 100% somebody in support of therapy. I've been to therapists many times over the years, just as I've been to gynecologists and dentists. I really think that <laughs> it's good to go to professionals when you need help. And sometimes you need a professional to help you clean out your bedroom. Totally. Well, so we're here talking about New Year's resolutions. We are at the end of this uh, year, this this shit show of a year. Yes. And we want to go into 2018 feeling good, feeling fresh, thinking about changes we might want to make in our lives. So what's your take on New Year's resolutions? One of the things that I've learned is that the idea of a New Year's resolution can be incredibly daunting. And they can also be incredibly vague. I would like to lose weight, for example, is something that a lot of people say. Or I would like to be better with money. That is not specific. Mm -hmm. And I think that we make better changes when what we have planned out is specific and clear. I also think that there's too much pressure right around New Year's. So maybe you can set a date of like January 13th instead, <laughs> some random date, right. or December 29th. Mm -hmm. And to go back for a moment to specific and clear, I think it works so much better to say, I am going to three days a week walk to work instead of take the subway. Totally. That is so much more effective than saying I'm going to lose weight, whatever that means. Right. When you feel like you're going to make a big change in your life, it then also immediately feels like denial or scarcity. So it's like, mm. oh, I'm going to start a diet in the New Year's. And so then in the weeks leading up to January 1st, you're just binging like crazy. Yes. You're like, oh, well, I got to do this because I'm never going to be able to do this right. again. And then you're at life. like peak, peak <laughs> unhealthiness, peak fatness. And you're like, this is a great time. I'm like 20 pounds over my normal weight. But I, I also find that it's helpful to have somewhere there's like a, a goal. And not necessarily like it's a number that I want to reach, but like in May, I hate that idea of like beach body, the, the summer's coming, you got to get ready for that. But there is something to 
being like, you know, we're going to go travel then and I want to feel lighter or freer or something to know, as opposed to like, I'm just going to lose weight. What does that even mean? Yeah, I just think it's too vague. There are a lot of different ways to be more specific, though. I mean, I want to say Miranda Lambert told me this and she didn't actually tell me. I read it in People magazine. I but it felt like she was telling you. But it you. felt like Miranda Lambert was talking to me. <laughs> She said that what worked for her, one of her coaches said, at the gym, run for one song, walk for one song. Have a running mix that is in your iPod and then run for a song. And I thought, oh, that is so specific and clear. And it's fun. It's not focusing on a number on the scale. It's not focusing on a measurement of my thigh. It's really just I'm going to have more fun if I do it this way, and it will be productive, and it's specific and clear. Rebecca and I are often, we we tailspin really easily when we're watching the news. Like, we just go into a death spiral of like, oh my God. Especially right now. And it's just like doing something simple, like saying, I'm not going to look at my phone, not even before I go to, but just like not first thing in the morning. Mm Mm-hmm. Not look at the terrible things that happened overnight. It's just a survival mechanism right now. I think that's such a good point to bring up because I think especially now there are a lot of people over the last year and a half who've been so anxious about the news. They want to stay informed, but consuming the news too much makes them anxious. And I actually fall in that camp as well. I just think anything you can do to consume enough to be informed but not hurt yourself whether it's setting up a timeline of, I don't read any text messages or news after 6 o'clock each day. You can set up different parameters for yourself that work better because it's so easy to fall into that tailspin. It's so easy to. So why do you think as a culture we're so obsessed with self-help or like making resolutions or always trying to iterate and find like what new boundary to set? Is there something about us that makes us that way? I think that's specifically something about us as Americans. I think that self-help is very, very strongly tied with what it means to be able to formulate your own identity, the whole Horatio Elger story, or any of the American mythology that says you can come here and you can be anything. I can be like the author of this book and wake up early every day and have my life transformed because I woke up early. And I love that about them. I love it because Despite all of the problems in America, and there are a lot of systemic inequalities, I do love the idea that there is a chance that we can reinvent and make ourselves into something here in a way that we can't in a lot of other countries, including first world countries in other parts of the world. Yeah. And I think self-help ties into that quite a bit. We're kind of obsessed with this idea of life hacks. There was a, a, a really great New Yorker cartoon of this a couple of weeks ago where it's like they're like, I'm so tired. Try closing your eyes. You might be able to sleep. Or like, this, or like, or like there was one about peanut butter that the internet kind of was obsessed with, right? Which was like, you know, hacking a peanut butter sandwich, which is the easiest food that there is to make in the whole world. It was like, you put the peanut butter on wax paper, then you put the bread on top of it, then you peel off, you know, just use a knife. Life hack, use chopsticks. Yeah, that they can was one. be like, used you to didn't stir know. things. Billions of people use chopsticks for all of these things. You didn't hack this. You just learned about it. Um, I think alongside the the life hacks is like columbusing. It's like when, whenever we read about like turmeric. Oh, my God. Or like yes. golden milk. We're like, wait, but. Didn't that you, already you didn't, exist for thousands of years? Yeah, like yeah. Goop didn't figure out that turmeric had beneficial properties. There's an element of cultural appropriation that comes with a lot of American-based self-help or resolutions or ways that we think about, like, what we're going to do next in the world. Absolutely, especially the Orientalism of it all. Just, I'm going to do something that's been done for years in Asia. Have you seen anything when you're reading these books and kind of doing it yourself where you're like, wait, I just 
followed all these rules to get back to like a thing I already do. I will say a lot of the rules in these self-help books, which might even be considered hacks, are ludicrous. A lot of these books are written by charlatans, and they're about as useful as that wax paper peanut butter thing. Um, For example, here's one that's truly ridiculous. In The Secret, which we lived by in our pilot episode, we had to each write ourselves a check for a giant amount of money that we thought that we were worth. And then at the end of the experiment, we were supposed to be able to cash that check. I did not get a million dollars in two weeks. I just want to make it very clear. That is not a useful hack. That That is not wow. a good hack. But I will say that one episode that is going to be coming out is called When Good Things Happen to Good People. And I loved that book because it gives you a 10-step plan of doing good things to help you be happier. Mm. It gives you an example that says, oh, do this for the next generation. Do something today for the next generation. Do something to be brave. One of them is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And it gives you different tips. If you are not ready to just forgive somebody, then just think of a time when you were forgiven and that will make you Mm. feel better. Just Mm -hmm. thinking of of a time when somebody was kind enough to forgive you or thinking of something that you did that you're beating yourself up over and sit and think on that and say, I forgive myself. Mm. Little things like that can make such a big difference. And that sounds so mushy, but I think it can be very useful to just do those tiny little exercises. It's really beautiful. That kind of exercise can release space in you to actually do the other things, like the more practical things. Forgiving yourself for something lets you use less energy on beating yourself up about it. And maybe then you'll go like walk to work and exercise more. Yes. There's like they're all connected in in some way. I will say I think Americans are uniquely obsessed with forgiveness, though, in a way that I don't always agree with. Because (laughs) why do you think that is? I've thought a lot about this, and I think part of it has to do with um, how Christian values have been interpreted in America, including through our self-help with prosperity ministries, and Mm -hmm. you're going to pray on it and get the money. And I'll just give credit where I think credit is due. I think Oprah has spent so much of her career preaching forgiveness, and I think forgiveness is overrated, actually. I (laughs) (laughs) I I think in some cases it can feel really good, but in some cases it can feel as though... I'm saying to you, hey, that horrible thing you did to me, it's all good. And that's not what I feel a lot of the time. If you did something truly horrible to me, you know what? You can just stew in how bad you feel about what you did to me. (laughs) I'm not thinking about you at all anymore, but you can just eat yourself up about how bad you made me feel earlier. They can buy their own self-help book. Yes, they can. (laughs) They absolutely can do that. In this moment, as we're talking about harassment and assault, and, you know, I think about the people who committed acts against me to me I don't Mm -hmm. know how to particularly the more kind of physical violent ones and I don't think that they think about it at all even in this moment where in theory they may do the exercise of being like did I ever do anything like that I'm not sure that they have any sense of what they did I don't forgive them but even being angry at them is hard because they are not a part of the conversation that I'm having if Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah that's absolutely clear so you don't have to be angry with them. You can just not forgive them. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. separating those into different things. What mm-hmm. you did was absolutely horrendous. There is no forgiveness here, but I'm just not going to think about you either. Yeah. If you can live a better life and not think about them, then that's that's the greatest spot to be in, I think. I really respect that, and I think that that's widely applicable. Yeah. Um, it's been a really intense couple weeks 
for you in the news. Um, John Hockenberry, your former colleague at WNYC, it's come out that he for years was a serial harasser and harassed you and was a bully to you and to many of the women that you worked with and particularly women of color. How did you get the courage to come out? Well, interestingly, it was this book we were just talking about, Why Good Things Happen to Good People. My co-host of the show, Jolenta, she outed without naming his name somebody who did something very, very bad to her in a live stage show. And I thought, wow, I've been having a horrible time coming up with what I should do for this step called Courageous Acts or Bravery. I can't remember what it's called. And when she went up on stage and she did that, I thought, that's the thing I can do. That's the thing I can do. I can name John Hockenberry's name to somebody. So I called up a former colleague at WNYC and I said, I'm ready to finally speak about what John did to me. Less than two weeks later, Suki Kim, the author of the New York Magazine piece, which publicly names a lot of the things that John Hockenberry did, she reached out to me then. And I thought, well, I can talk to her now because I already got it off my chest and told WNYC properly. I feel that I did things in the right order. I let them know. And then... I talked to Suki Kim. So that's how that all came about. Holy shit. <laughs> it really says something about you that um, I can sense, like the real pride you have, that y- you felt like you did the station right. Yes, because I love my colleagues there. I wasn't there to ruin their lives. Right. This was not me trying to bring the station down. It was me saying... There's something very wrong there. And the whole time I was there, I didn't speak up because I knew if I spoke up, I would be shown the door. I'm 100% confident about that. This isn't me exaggerating because I saw what happened to the other women who spoke up about how John treated them. And they evaporated. And I loved my job and didn't want to evaporate. And so I stayed there. After that, I thought about what to say, if I should come forward, if it was too late to come forward. If it made me cowardly to not want to come forward earlier, I thought about all these things. In the end, I'm glad I did. So much of this is about the time and the place that you're in or the world is in. You know, you got the courage watching Jolenta and then reading this book and and all and it gave you courage. You know, I have a question about forgiveness. What do you think it is for women and for mashups and people of color that that's kind of an open ask for forgiveness in the air all the time? What do you think that is? Or is it something that you've noticed or been aware of? I think that women are taught from the time we're very, very young, before we're even women, when we're little girls, to get along well with people, to de-escalate. Part of it's for our own safety. From a young age, we know that if we can smile when someone's doing something bad to us, maybe that will prevent us from getting killed or from it getting worse. Mm. And it's a horrible truth that Too many times in life a woman, when a a man or somebody else who is bigger or stronger has more power over them, does something that's inappropriate, and then that person says, hey, that's no big deal, right? And we are supposed to say, and it's usually safer to say, oh, no, it's no big deal, because it's safer to say that so that it doesn't get worse. I I just, I'm so sad, (laughs) just really sad saddened by the how deeply ingrained this is, even in the places where there's so many good people telling good stories and doing important work. And I don't know, there's just something 
That's it's it. just this sad. Is profound. I'm just sad. It is sad. And it's okay to be sad. And if we weren't sad, then nothing would change, right? I mean, that could be the whole show. Forgiveness isn't compulsory. I think different faiths and ways of being in the world will make that something that feels good or not. But the idea that we can get rid of someone's presence in our lives without being angry, that's big. Yeah, that's monumental. I think that is life-changing in and itself. And the idea that forgiveness is best for you, the forgiver, when it's on your terms, when it's not a way to say, oh, that, that wasn't a big deal, when it really was. But it's not all there is, folks. Kristen, being Kristen, she still had more wisdom to share. So we asked her for her top takeaways from all the books she's lived by. Yeah, we're here talking at the end of, again, just like a shitty year for the world. But there is also a mobilization that's happening that we can take a lot of heart from, from you, from Me Too, from women speaking out. I think on a personal level, like for our community, for people who are ready to make big changes in their life, whether it's something as big as speaking out or something that's equally big personally, whether it's like to get healthy or to like have less temper tantrums at their kids. That would be me. You know, like, what are some good first steps? I would go back to what I was saying about being concrete and specific. Sometimes what's going to make you happier may not even feel that it's related to the long goal. So, for example, we lived by a book called Bored and Brilliant. And one of the things it says in Bored and Brilliant is try not using your phone anytime when you commute. Don't play any Candy Crush. Don't mm. listen to any podcasts. Don't do anything. Don't text Listen to podcasts. Take that <laughs> back. Take that back, Kristen. Take that Just back. Just our podcast. <laughs> yes, your podcast and my podcast. That's but, it. Oh, but, that's actually in the, the hack, in the advice. <laughs> there are, you should no podcast except for buy the book and the Mashup American. Yes. But... Uh-huh. That's a step that might just give you some extra brain space where your brain is free and you can engage with the world a little bit differently. Having little go-to steps like that that you can try. A book that I absolutely loved was called America's Cheapest Family Gets You Right on the Money. And (laughs) I am very cheap, proudly, and I love saving money. And one of the tips it gave that I loved was volunteer. It will make you happier and it will make you more grateful for what you have. Yeah. Maybe I'll fixate a little bit less on what I do or don't have if I'm out there volunteering with somebody who could really use my help. Right. And they treat thriftiness like it's fun. Saving is more fun than spending. Reframing can get you so far in life. Don't treat stuff as a punishment. Treat it as its own reward. I love saving money. I'm into it. I don't feel deprived. If you can frame things that way, it'll hopefully do more for you than if you're treating it as some sort of hostage crisis with your money. Right, which is how I feel all the time. In my family, we have the joke about how Costco is where you go broke saving money. Yes. Because you're like, maybe I need this 40-gallon tank of soy sauce. You probably do, yeah. Yeah, actually, I probably do. probably do. 
But no, I, I'm never going to need the six gallons of mayonnaise. No. Also, where would you even put it in Brooklyn? That's like valuable real estate. How many square feet is that taken up? Some other hacks from books. Uh, another book that we really had a blast living by was called How to Write an Ebook in Less Than 7 to 14 Days That Will Make You Money Forever. <laughs> I know the title of the book is horrible. The grammar's off. The whole exercise was ridiculous. But I did indeed write not one but two novels in two weeks. The first novel was crap, so I threw it out. I started over. I wrote a second novel, an Amish romance, of course, my favorite. (laughs) um, But I think that something that that book taught me was the joy of parameters. Sometimes it's Mm. really good just to have a very specific time frame because sometimes when it's open-ended, You'll get nothing done. You think, I have all the time in the world, and then you do nothing. Having a very specific window can be very helpful with a hack. And be grateful for what you have. That comes up not just in The Secret, which is a load of crap, but (laughs) in lots and lots of books that we read. I think it's really easy to be upset with what we don't have and not frame things differently and be happy for the things we do have. For example, I could think about oh my gosh, it was horrible getting here, the subways, this and that. There was a terrorist attack today in New York. This is horrible. Or instead, I can be grateful and say, how lucky am I that I get to talk with Amy and Rebecca today, two of the most brilliant women in broadcasting. And they invited me. They're saying they want to talk to me. I am so grateful. And how thankful can I possibly be? I can never be thankful enough because I am lucky that you guys want to talk to me. You're treating me like my voice matters. I'm, oh, my God. I'm thankful. Well, we're thankful. Thank you. That was, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just delighted by this whole day now. <laughs> oh, good. I'm reframing. <laughs> good. Okay. I'm going to take a piece of advice from Kristen and express my gratitude I am so grateful that Kristen came on our show, and we are so lucky that we got to talk with her, even if, you know, it wasn't the easiest of subjects. No, but she she did validate my cheapness, which is great. With limits. Cheapness with limits, (laughs) which is a good rule of thumb for all resolutions. Yes. Limits, specificity, and gratitude. That's it for this week. Happy Sylvester, fam. We wish nothing but joy, peace, health, and duck gook for 2018. The Mashup Americans are me, Rebecca Lehrer. And me, Amy Choi. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs. Music this week by DJ Rob Swift and Alot Moment. Shoutouts to all the amazing women speaking out and telling their stories. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio KPCC. Happy New Year. Ciao. We've been getting so many parenting questions from you guys, so we're going to follow up our conversations with Christine Grosslow and Ruman Alam on Raising Generation Mashup with an advice show of our own. Send us any more questions you have about your parents, your kids, or the purely hypothetical, and we'll dig in together. Email yo at mashupamericans.com. <laughs>